I'd like for us to uh, call our mind and our attention to our sermon series. We've uh, been exploring the seven sayings, or I am sayings, of Christ from the Gospel of John. And perhaps it might be helpful if we just remind ourselves of what these sayings are. And so I ask you to help me uh, say these with me. Uh, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the gate. Jesus said, I am the light of the... Jesus said, I am the bread of... Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the final I am saying is from John chapter 15, which we now read and so rise as we respond in honor of Christ's presence among us through these words. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to, be, to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. I have said these things to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. O gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. Friends, it's a privilege to uh, preach this passage with you today. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm your uh, New Year's Eve preacher, your Sunday after Easter preacher, your uh, <laughs> Sunday after Christmas preacher. Today I'm your Pentecost preacher. And it's a real treat to be able to have this opportunity to share these words with you. And to share a little bit about how these words have impacted my ministry and the ministry of Lover's Lane. But first, let's go back. Let's go back to the scripture. Let's go to when these words were first heard. 
around a first century Passover supper table in Jerusalem, a beloved table host gives his last will and testament, and you may remember this, to his newly foot-washed disciples. For three years, this sent one of God had led his disciples up and down the hills and valleys between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. For three years, this Son of God revealed the glory of his Father in heaven through word and deed. And now on the evening before his last walk across a Jerusalem Kidron Valley, a walk that would lead to his betrayal, arrest, trial, death on a cross, and resurrection. This Jesus, this host of the Last Supper, called together his disciples for a farewell discussion. And Jesus tells them four things which can be summed as one. I will not leave you orphaned. That's chapter 14. Two, abide in my love, which we just read a moment ago. Third, I have chosen you out of the world. And fourth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And he said that because of this day, Pentecost Sunday, in which the promised Holy Spirit would come upon his disciples. These four themes come to us in chapters 14 to 16 of John's Gospel, which were written decades after that last meal, as the community of John's Gospel recalled and remembered Jesus' last testament. For you see, Jesus' last supper words took new relevance in their present crisis of displacement and disconnection from their Jewish Christian roots. John's gospel community were displaced from the temple. Its tall entrance decorated with a huge vine made of gold. All of that had been raised to the ground, destroyed in a 70 A.D. Roman soldier bonfire. And from the ashes of that fire and looted gold, John's gospel community remembered that last supper host who said, I am the true vine. And John's gospel community was disconnected. Decades after that last meal when John's gospel community, struggling with a long season of conflict with and expulsion by their synagogue attending brothers and sisters, they remembered the sent one of God calling them, you're my branches, and repeatedly saying, abide in me, abide in me. Abide in my love. And how does this sent one of God hold together his last supper disciples? How does 
He holds together his community of displaced and disconnected believers. And how does he to this day hold in unity this diverse community called Lover's Lane as well as the church around the globe through a vine? On that Passover night, Jesus chooses a simple but potently rich symbol of the grapevine and saying, I am the true vine. For this last of his seven I am saying, Jesus chooses the one image that is the image of Israel. For in the Psalms and from the prophets Isaiah and Hosea, Israel is described as the precious vineyard brought from Egypt, planted in a carefully cleared field, ensconced behind rock walls, protected by a watchtower, a wine press cut out from the ground. And yet for all of God's vineyard work, God's precious vineyard of Israel produces bloodshed, distress, and self-worship rather than justice, righteousness, and glory to God. On Jerusalem Temple Mount, the entrance to the temple doors was decorated in vines and fruit of gold, symbolizing Israel's chosen relationship with God. Now, I suppose if uh, we were to look for a symbol of Dallas, that would immediately come to mind. Ah, yes, Dallas. You might think of a star or a pegasus. We have that sort of visual connection. For the people of Israel, that visual connection to God and to their identity was divine. And on that Passover night, against the prophetic judgment of Israel's legacy as a disobedient, unworthy, and unproductive vine, Jesus says not not only is he the vine, but the true vine. A true vine with a new design and purpose. And Jesus is not the replacement of Israel. Because Jesus is no new Israel. Rather, as we will see, the true vine is to be the new mediator intertwining himself between the community of believers and God. And so upon revealing himself as the true vine, Jesus intertwines himself with God when he adds, And my father is the vine dresser, for it is God as a father who examines not his son Jesus, the true vine, but God who examines the fruitfulness of the vine branches. It is this vine dresser, this divine gardener of the vineyard, who is the one who prunes or removes, who cuts clean or cuts off those branches to produce more fruit. I suppose those disciples looked at each other that moment when Jesus said those words. Perhaps they looked a little bit nervous. 
wondering if this veil prod of judgment to come might cut them off from Jesus. Perhaps some of them felt a moment of irritation as if their loyalty to Jesus these past years was still not enough to secure a permanent place with Jesus. But gently and encouragingly, Jesus assures his disciples, look, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And with these words, Jesus leans into his disciples to declare them clean and whole. And rather than pile on judgment and damnation, Jesus appealed to his disciples with a cascade of, abide in me, abide in me. Nine times in seven verses, abide in me, Jesus tells them. Abide in me and I in you, and you will produce fruit. Just as a branch without a vine cannot produce fruit, so too you cannot produce fruit without me. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. And just as Jesus had intertwined himself with the Father, Jesus now intertwines himself with his disciples, declaring and appealing to them, I am the vine, and you are the what? The branches. To not abide in Jesus results in becoming that branch that dries up and becomes wood for fire. But when there is abiding in Jesus, abiding in his words, and there is the reward of being able to ask for whatever they wish, and it will be given. So in this true vineyard, as the prayers of these abiding in Jesus disciples are answered, the more they become true disciples and bear more fruit, all of which is to give glory to God. And as these disciples pondered their place on the vine, there is one more thing to add to this and to complete this vineyard picture. For as we see the true vine and the vine dresser, the son and the father, and as we see the vine and the branches, the son and the people who are connected to the son, But a vineyard is not complete without the grapes. The fruit of the vine. Did these disciples wonder what kind of fruit is to come from these abiding in Jesus' branches? Jesus continues to speak. But rather than continue the image of the vineyard... Jesus appealed directly to his relationship in heaven and on earth, saying, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And before the disciples could ask Jesus, How do we abide in your love? The sent one of God explained, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. And I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What then are the fruits of an abiding 
and Jesus' disciple. The fruit is a loving and joyful relationship intertwined with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who Jesus promised also on that Passover night long ago and whose outpouring would come on Pentecost. I want to take some time now to reflect on these words with you. In this symbol of vine and branches, of vine dresser and fruit, I hope that we can see one another as equally attached to the true vine of Jesus. And in this true vine community of John, this is good news. Why? Well, it's Jesus who's doing the cleaning, folks. This cleaning is a gift. It's not us that's earning the cleanness or something we do ourselves. Jesus' words have a clean-cut effect on our spiritual lives. You are forgiven. Get a new beginning. Restoring the image of God in us. And forgiving us, Jesus always gives us the clean start to be fruitful. Let me say this again another way. It is not we who cut clean others. Nor it is we who cut off others from community. This clean cutting and cutting off is God's work. Not ours. Not ours. That's God's work. And secondly, in this true vine community of Jesus... There are no branches that outrank another. You know, there's another image of the uh, church that the Apostle Paul gives us from the Corinthian church. This community of John's gospel was not a Corinthian church racked by arguments of who had the greater spiritual gift or people trying to one-up themselves over the other because I've been a member of this church and you're not or uh, you don't have this gift, I'm better than you. Rather, the John's gospel image of the branches is of a community with no distinctions. We are all branches of the one true vine. So there is not a hearing branch. There is not a deaf branch. There is not a poor or rich branch. Nor is there a disabled branch or an able-bodied branch. There is neither an Anglo or a Mexican, African or American branch. Nor are there any body part branches like that in the Corinthian church. There is not a mouth branch. There is not an eye or ear branch. There's not a head or foot branch. The branches are all similar and have all one purpose. To produce fruit. Whatever our distinctiveness, whatever our diversity as a community of lovers lane, it is the fruit of our branches that counts. And I believe the only question that it will be asked of us Will be, 
Is your fruit loving and joyful? Now, I'm not posing a moral to-do question. This is a how is your relationship with Jesus question. For the fruit of our relationship with Christ is impossible from Christ. For apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But when we are abiding, relating to the true vine, then the character of Christ, the likeness of Christ, the love of Christ can and will appear in us. When our first thought, now think about this, folks. I I think about this every time I get a call from a solicitor. When our first thought, our first impulse, our first response to any situation is love, then God's grace and mercy can be relived and reenacted in us. So think about that first response you make in a situation that tests your patience that test your opinion and ask, is the thought I'm thinking, the action that I am feeling rising within me, is it love? Oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) Because such fruitful behavior is a sign of becoming more and more perfected in Christ's likeness. Or another way to examine our fruits is by testing our actions and thoughts with this question. Are my actions and thoughts loving, or are my thoughts and actions fearful? If fear is at the base, cause and root of our behavior, what will the fruit be? Well, there will be more fear, more anger. More hatred, more dehumanizing the other, more Santa Fe's. How often is fear and anger our first response? How often is love our first response? Does our answer convict us? And discover that we need more clean cutting, more pruning of our nature. Can you say with me, Lord, have mercy. And if love is at the base, cause, and root of our behavior, then what will the fruit be? But more love, more joy, more Christ-likeness. Lastly and thirdly, this image of the true vine branches abounding in fruit leads us to encourage one another to be more loving and to have more joyful relationships and we see growth. As one of your pastors for the past 17 years, I have had the privilege of seeing love and joy abound not just by my action, 
but through the collective fruitful work of all these branches where we are all working and connected with God, connected with Christ, and producing these fruits. I want to share with you three of these instances where I saw some fruit. Where? In a prison. When an offender in our Alpha ministry shared with me of diffusing a confrontation with another prisoner by not raising his voice in angry response, but rather turning aside and looking above the head of his antagonist and say, God, will you take care of this? And walking away. Where? Well, a few miles west of here is a place called Christ's Foundry, where our deaf ministry can take a joyful smile and knowing that it was during a deaf mission in Ecuador several years ago that the love of Christ became intertwined between one of our team members who was the father of a deaf son and an Ecuadorian Spanish-speaking woman. And that love leading that woman, Lucia, to become John's wife and become a local pastor at Christ's Foundry, the largest Spanish-speaking United Methodist Church west of the Mississippi. Friends, the deaf ministry did not go to Ecuador seeking to recruit a local pastor for Christ's Foundry. But you see how this works in Christ's Vineyard. That the fruit produce more fruit. And we begin to see the joy and the effect of the collective commonality and purpose of our community of generous saints. And there's one more where I want to share with you. Three months ago, I was at a Houston heart hospital at the bedside of a friend, a dear friend of 30 years, Reverend Scott Dornbush. He and I had been roommates in seminary. He and I stood at each other's wedding. He and I encouraged one another through our seasons of struggles at our ministry appointments and our seasons of joy at our ministry appointments. And as I looked at his widow-maker-ravaged body, his mind, unconscious, and cognitively gone. I thought about my relationship with him and the friendship that I had with him was about to end. And at that bedside, after an hour or so, I did what most people might do, check my cell phone. (laughs) 
And there was a message from a seminary student in Atlanta, Georgia. She had finished, she was finishing her second year. And she was asking me if she could come to Lover's Lane and be an intern for our deaf ministry. Friends, I have to share with you that a deaf student in a United Methodist seminary is a unicorn. In the 17 years I've been at Lover's Lane, I have not had a seminary deaf student come here. And as I read that message next to my friend's body, I sensed God saying to me, I'm going to take care of you. And I am with you. Yesterday, I went to the Love Field Airport to pick up our intern. And she'll be spending her first Sunday with us today. And as I contemplated more about that moment by the bedside in Houston, I remembered when I was an intern 28 years ago in New York City at the General Board of Health and Welfare where I had been asked to write a letter of support for a deaf church in Seoul, Korea. This young woman who is coming to us was born in Korea. Friend, we are in God's vineyard. The fruit abound when we abide in Him. Will you abide in Christ's words? Abide in His love? And let that fruit of God's love and joy be produced in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let the people say, 